You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Blog Talk Radio. Hey guys, welcome back to the Big Ten Powerhouse podcast. This is number 11, and today we're talking about uh, Maryland and Purdue. Um, As a reminder, um, each of these podcasts, we're moving through two teams per week, so there'll be seven total. Um, We're progressing in conference win totals over the last five years from worst to best. Started out with Penn State and Rutgers. Um, Moving down last time, we had Illinois and Indiana. Um, and this time we are at Maryland and uh, Purdue. Uh, so we'll jump right into it. Uh, Andrew, uh, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can. <laughs> Why don't you introduce yourself uh, real quick? Uh, hey, guys. I am, my name is Andrew Emmer. I am uh, a writer at TestudoTimes.com. Uh, I graduated from Maryland in 2013. I'm a journalist. I was a journalism major, and now I work appropriately at Sirius XM Sports, College Sports Nation Radio. Okay, cool stuff. Um, yeah, so obviously we're going to be talking some Maryland, so uh, you fit in pretty well right now. <laughs> um, first, before we get going, um, as most of the people know, today is the. Uh, I guess the second day of the NBA season. Um, first off, are you tuning in for that? Uh, Who's your favorite team? Um, any thoughts on the NBA getting rolling here? I love the NBA. I'm, as we're recording this, I'm watching the Bucks against Charlotte on uh, my league <laughs> pass that I spend way too much money on every every year. And uh, getting ready for my Knicks to kick off in just about 30 minutes. So uh, let's keep this short so I can watch us lose to the Bulls. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, I'm a Pistons fan myself. Um, we'll see. We'll see how they do. Uh, I'm hoping we'll, we'll for a, a little playoff season. We'll be fighting out for the Yeah, AFC. yeah. <laughs> Checking it out. Um, yeah, so uh, moving in, um, why, don't, why don't we just get jump right into Maryland here. Um, first off, um, some general thoughts on the upcoming season. I guess uh, also moving into a new conference. Um your general perception on this season for Maryland? Well, in terms of moving into a new conference, um, it's not like the ACC was, you know, the Mountain West for basketball in the, you know, <laughs> in recent years, especially in the last 30 years. So the Big Ten is the best uh, basketball conference going right now, but it's not a massive step up for Maryland. Um, in Maryland in the last four or five years has not been very good. Um, I would say mediocre more than bad. They haven't made the NCAA tournament. They came close two years ago and had the resume of an NCAA, not the resume, the, uh, the advanced statistics of an NCAA tournament team last year, finishing about 40th in Ken Palm. Uh, but losing like eight close games to uh, NCAA tournament teams will, will knock you out. And they, they didn't deserve to make it. I'm not making the argument they deserve to make it. Uh, but. I think they've been a little better than their record has indicated in the last few years, but they have underachieved. 
they're very, very talented. They're one of the better talent, uh, one of the more talented teams in the conference, probably top four. Uh, but their coaching's unproven. A lot of the players that they're going to rely on are unproven, and uh, there's a lot of turnover from from last year. And last year wasn't a good year to begin with. So it's really hard to peg where the turfs are right now heading into the season. Yeah, I think that's a uh, a really good thought. I I know for me at least. Um, Seeing them at 40, but um, I think their total record was 17 and 15, something like yeah, that. Yeah, 17 and um, 15. Yeah. Okay. Um, and to see them at 40 on Ken Palm is kind of shocking. Um, so, that I mean, coming from a Turp fan, that must have been uh, pretty frustrating. Uh, or is that true? Or Last year was probably the most frustrating basketball season um, I've ever watched as a college basketball fan. Uh, they worked you know, very talented. They had, you know, Des Wells, when he's when he was going, who, he's Maryland's best player. He's, you know, an all-conference type player. Um, they, you know, had um, Jake Lehman, excuse me, Seth Allen. Charles Mitchell was a great rebounder. Um, they didn't have any seniors, which was an issue. But, yeah, they, they lost uh, eight games by five or fewer points. Uh, included in those eight games were a one-point loss or a two-point loss at Duke in Mar- the last uh, installment of the Maryland-Duke rivalry, which is, you know, may have fizzled in recent years, but at one time, about 14, 15 years ago, and then also, uh, you know, in the 90s and 80s, was one of the best rivalries in college basketball. They lost on a uh, Charles Mitchell runner that probably hit every side of the rim but the bottom and uh that was a pretty heartbreaking loss. Uh they lost to Syracuse by two at Maryland. They lost to Clemson in double overtime by two or three points. They lost at Virginia, the eventual ACC champions by about by less than ten. So it was a pretty close game at uh, toward the end. They ended up beating Virginia. That was their one big one of the season. They beat Virginia in the last home ACC game ever, which was, you know, quite a scene. But they lost mm-hmm. BC by three. They lost BC, a pretty good BC team, but they shouldn't be losing to BC. They lost to George Washington, again, a good George Washington team. They lost to them by two on a buzzer beater. Uh, they lost to Florida State in the ACC tournament by two on a buzzer beater. It was just, it was, you know, everything that could possibly have gone wrong went wrong for Maryland last year. They they were without Seth Allen, who was their starting point guard for the first two months of the season. Uh, it was, oh, I forgot how about this, the biggest one. They lost to UConn by two, uh, or by one, in <laughs> an opening game last year. So, Man. Yeah, it was, I mean, yeah. it, was, it was pretty pretty remarkable. No, no, not to get uh, too much into, you know, theory here, but um, do you think that was just pure bad luck? Do you think it was coaching um you know maybe just not having as you said that that senior leadership or do you just think you know they just lost them <laughs> um i think a lot of it uh there was some bad luck involved i mean at the end of the yukon game maryland had two shots at the yukon game and the duke game maryland had two shots to win it and just and they got decent shots in both cases but they just they just couldn't they just couldn't Get the the bucket to fall. Um, they there was some bad coaching. Um, there was a game uh, against NC State uh, in the middle of the last season where 
NC State was without eventual um, ACC Player of the Year, um, TJ Warren, from NC, uh, who was, you know, NC State star last mm-hmm. year, and Maryland still lost that game. And NC State wasn't very good last year, but they still lost, and they were up, I think, 10 at halftime and lost that game because, the you know, the fifth guy off the bench got hot, and that was, that was really bad. Coach. That game was one of the first games where, you know, I, I'm a big Mark. I was a big Mark Turger fan. I think he did a great job at Texas A&M. I think he did a really good job in his first two years at Maryland. Um, that first, that first, not to get on a tangent, but that first Maryland team that he had uh, after Guy Williams retired was just an abomination of a roster. And the fact that he got them to 17 and 15 was a ridiculous accomplishment. Uh, but since then, he's, he's regressed as a coach. And that, that game against NC State was really the first time that I really questioned him as a coach. And I, I was late on it. A lot of Maryland fans have been for a year, year or two. Um, but I kind of lost the question. But, yeah, it was, it was a lot of bad luck. There were some coaching issues. And uh, they just they never really had an identity on offense. So it was really hard to get into an offensive set, you know, find your go-to play at the end of games when you really don't have an identity, you really don't have a true point guard. And your best player, Des Wells, is – He's kind of a player without a position. He's he's the size of a two guard, but he sort of has a game of a three, and he doesn't have a great jumper. And he's pretty good at making at, you know creating opportunities for himself, but not great. Uh, and he was forced to play point guard a lot of the time because he you know the Marylanders didn't have another option. So I, I would say those were the three big three culprits: was that bad coaching, bad luck, and not having a go-to player or a go-to offense. Okay, yeah. Um, speaking of Des Wells, why don't we move right into um, Maryland's backcourt here, um, widely perceived as, at least from the outside, um, as Maryland's most talented part of their team. Um, first off, do you agree with that? How do you see that um, working out? Who are the main contributors there, um, in your opinion? It's pretty clearly Maryland's most talented uh, part of their team, their backcourt, but it's also perhaps their most inexperienced part of their team. Um well, I'm not sure if that's actually true now that I'm thinking about it. So the starting <laughs> point guard will be freshman Mellow Tremble. Oh, sorry. I dropped my phone. Uh, the the oh, starting point guard will be freshman Mellow Tremble, who is a McDonald's All-American um, star of local basketball uh, powerhouse uh, O'Connell that also produced uh, such players as Kendall, uh, Kendall Marshall, who's in the NBA right now. Uh, mm-hmm. Mellow Tremble actually broke Kendall Marshall's Probably all of his records at O'Connell, uh, scoring records, a lot of assist records. Oh. Um, he's perhaps the best player in their school history, which is saying something. Um, so he'll be the starting point guard, and a lot is on his shoulders. A lot is expected of him. He, I, I've met the kid a few times. I've watched a bunch of his games. He, you know, it's really hard to put that much on a freshman, but if any freshman can handle it, it's him. He's very grounded. He's already a good leader. There's a great article on Maryland's um, 24-7 sports site, Inside Maryland Sports, about Mel Trimble uh, that came out a few days ago about how all of his teammates are already raving about how good of a leader he is. Um, I, I heard an interview that we did on SiriusXM College Sports Nation with Des Wells at Big Ten Media Day where he said that uh, there's times where they're scrimmaging and Des Wells, who's a, a senior, uh, he'll look like a freshman and, and Trimble will look like a senior. And uh, I think that's you know, pretty high praise. So I really expect uh, Trimble to have, uh, you know, perhaps a 
Tyler Ennis level year. I, I really think he's he's quite good. Um, that may not be enough because there's just so much so many unknowns on Maryland, but I really think he's going to have an outstanding year. Um, so he'll be the starting point guard. Uh, the starting two guard. Well, we're fighting into this later, but uh, Evan Smotrich, who Michigan fans will remember, a lot of Big Ten, Big Ten fans will remember, is Merrill's presumed starting power forward. But since he's injured for the first month or so of the season, um, Merrill's probably going to go small and start Jake Lehman, who's more of a three at the four. And Des Wells, although he's generally going to be the starting two guard, might be the starting three to start the season, but we'll, we'll count him in the backcourt. Um, he, again, is Maryland's best player. He's been the Maryland's best player for at least one year or perhaps two years. There's a big debate dependent. You know, a lot of Maryland fans think that he was better than Alex Lund when Alex Lund was at Maryland, but I still think Alex Lund was better than him two years ago. There's a reason he was picked number five in the draft. Uh, so, Des Wells is, I, you know, I described his game a little bit before. He's kind of a player without a position. He's a really good scorer. He's an absolute bully going to the, going to the paint. Um, he's a great dunker, incredible athlete, a decent playmaker for his teammates. You know, not, he's not a point guard. He's not a great passer, but he really he makes good decisions. Um, he had a lot of turnovers last year because he doesn't have the best handle. But um, if he can get the ball heading toward the basket with a head of steam, he's, he's like a train. Um, I think he's a fringe uh, all-Big Ten type player, depending on how well Maryland does this season. And then they have this very intriguing um, – Backup, I guess he's a backup point guard, backup point guard, backup two guard, whatever you really want to call him, and Rashad Pack, who is a transfer from North Carolina A&T. Uh, he's originally from Detroit, Michigan, and was a very lightly recruited player out of there, went to Florida International, barely played at Florida International, transferred to North Carolina A&T where he thrived last year. He scored 17 points a game, about five rebounds a game, about two assists a game, and was one of the most efficient uh, guards in the country offensively uh, had an you know had an offensive rating of something like 127, which is stupid. Um, very rarely turns the ball over. Is you know known as being a really good leader, a hard worker, and he's not going to start for Maryland most likely, but he probably will be their sixth man. Um, and he's not going to score 17 points a game because he's not playing in the MIAC anymore. But uh, he can score, you know, eight, nine, ten points a game off the bench for Maryland. That'll be something that Maryland hasn't really had since, you know, they were good four or five years ago when they had guys like um, Adrian Bowie or uh, Cliff Tucker coming off the bench for them. Uh, and then they have two other freshmen uh, who will round out their backcourt. They have Dion Wiley, who is, you know, another very highly touted player from the from the area, from the Maryland area. He's a a bulky two guard, I'd say. He's not very, he's not overly athletic. He's not a high flying guard, but he's very smart, um, very methodical with the ball, very, very good shooter. Uh, I kind of compare him to Khalif Wyatt, the former Temple star, little old man game. And then they have uh, Jared Nickens, who's kind of a guard forward combo from Philly. No, he's from Pennsylvania, but went to school in New Jersey. And he is just a sharp shooter. Um, Six nine, uh, really really good shooter, you know, pr- a pretty decent athlete, a good defender, lanky. Although he's probably probably put on about twenty pounds. Uh, they tell that about every skinny kid though coming into college. Uh, so you know that it was, it's very inexperienced. It's relying on a lot of, you know, they have two seniors in, in Pack and Wells, but then they have three freshmen. So I'm not sure if that balances out or not. Uh, but it's definitely very talented. 
and uh, an intriguing group, if nothing else. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, um, I think it's going to be one of those mixes where it's just you hope all the talent works out. Um, <laughs> Trimble, I, yeah, mean, I, mean, I, it, I think it, he's going to – oh, go ahead. <laughs> oh, no, so I was going to you know, if, if it clicks, and I said this about Maryland uh, throughout the offseason, if it clicks, especially the backcourt, because we know that the NCAA college basketball is a guard-driven league, mm-hmm. um, whereas maybe the NBA is a big-driven league, uh, the NCAA, if you don't have good guards, and UConn proved this, you know, proved the point forever last year, their bigs were marginal at best. It's, they were okay, but, I, I, you know, Amita Brima and whatever, whoever else they had there is not, you know, they're not lottery picks up there. Um, mm-hmm. If you have good guard play and if you have shooters, you can win a lot of games. So if this backcourt clicks for Maryland, they're going to be, you know, they, they could be a top, six, top five team in the Big Ten. It's going to all come down to the backcourt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, I definitely agree. I mean, I think there's a lot of talent there, and it'll be interesting to see how it uh, it works out. Um, speaking of the uh, the new incoming players, um, we haven't talked about this yet, but Maryland had a ton of departures um, this offseason. Uh, without going through everyone, um, do you want to touch on maybe um, – why you thought there were so many? Um, I'm trying to I'm trying to look up the exact number. Maybe you know off the top of your head how many there were. They had but, five, um, they had five transfers. Okay. Five, five yeah, yeah. Transfers. If you want to talk about that for a second, <laughs> who came in? Uh, but, so yeah, we don't have to go into all of them. Maryland, if you want to go to stereotimes.com, go through our archives. We discussed it ad nauseum. Um, but there, it, it's interesting when you see five transfers. That's that's a very striking number. And uh, really, I mean, it's very easy to point to that and say, this is a broken program. Uh, everyone wants to leave, um, especially with someone like Seth Allen, who was Maryland's second-best player last year when he leaves. That is, you know, that really sends shockwaves. But the truth is, um, and we don't know exactly why each of them left, but we have a pretty good idea why most of them left. And they were all mm-hmm. fairly unique circumstances Uh for example, and I want to, again, I won't go into all of them, but Charles Mitchell, who was Maryland's leading rebounder last year, left to um, be closer to a sick family member in Atlanta, Georgia. He transferred to Georgia Tech. And now that's the go-to excuse for a lot of these players, but his sister went to Towson, another Maryland area school, and she also transferred back to Atlanta um, during this offseason. So I, I, I do give credence to that sick relative story. So that's, you know, that's one excuse um, the story, the, the rumors go that Seth Allen was not super happy that a guy like Melo Trimble was going to come in and take his minutes at, at point guard, and he transferred to Virginia Tech so he could, um, you know, kind of run the show there uh, when he's finally eligible last year. Uh, and then, um, you know, they had, the other guys were Roddy Peters, who was a freshman last year, you know, borderline five-star freshman last year who didn't do much in his, um, in his one year of Maryland transfer to South Florida. Nick Faust, who would have been a senior this year, transferred to Long Beach State. So uh, kind of took a step down there. And he will also have to sit out. Nick Faust is one of the most polarizing Maryland players of recent, recent years. He would look like, you know, he was a future pro sometimes and, and at other times go 0 for 8 from 3, jacking up shots with two guys in his face. Not, not the most fun player to watch. But, uh, yeah, I mean, 
so I'll, to summarize, they all transferred for their own reason. This wasn't some mass exodus all going out because they hated the coach. Um, but it, I understand why people could see it that way. Uh, it's it's not any sort of situation where what you know any sort of situation you want to be in as a program. But the argument there is an argument to be made, and this is not me being a homer because I actually don't buy this argument. But there's an argument that some fans have made that every spot filled by incoming players by those five outgoing players. Uh, was an Im- improvement in talent, at least. Okay, yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, that was just, uh, that's something I know from the outside. Uh, you heard, it seemed like a player was transferring almost every, you know, week uh, at yeah, the beginning well, of the summer. Of them, so that, oh. Three of them transferred at once, and then the other two mm-hmm. trickled out of the last, next few weeks and months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a... Uh, just one of those things where I, I know a lot of people, there there were some theories, so I definitely wanted to hear uh, your take on that. Yeah. Um, I, I think the, the the biggest one, and I actually I truly, I think the only two that will really hurt Maryland this year are Seth Allen, who was Maryland's best scorer last year and second-best player, and uh, perhaps Charles Mitchell, who was Maryland's best rebounder and, and one of the better offensive rebounders in the country. Uh, the, other two, the other three, Shaq Clear, Roddy Peters, and um, Nick Faust, were players that, had they stayed, would probably have been buried on the bench at Maryland. Mm. Okay. Um, as a side note, you mentioned uh, Long Beach State. If you haven't seen their court, definitely check it out because it's awesome. The beach. Um, <laughs> yeah, just a, uh, a side note because it's awesome. Um, but, uh, yeah, why don't we jump into the wings then? Um, you can include, you know, the four spot if you want. Um, but how do you see things shaking out there? Um, it's interesting because, I mean, I could probably have included Jared Nickens uh, in the wings because he probably would be playing most of his career at three. Uh, the other, you know, pretty intriguing name for Maryland is Jake Lehman, who is a, um, you know, 6'8", six, 6'7", six, uh, pretty pretty uh, prototypical um, small forward from Boston that will be a junior this year for Maryland. Uh, he's been an interesting player in his career because, if you look at him, if you look at his measurables, if you look at sort of his the makeup of his game, he really does look a lot like a future first-round pick. He's very athletic. He's a pretty good shooter. Um, he's agile. He's quick. Uh, he's had a some, but he's had some kind of up and down, up and downs in his game. Uh, as a freshman, his first two two months, he barely played, really didn't score, and then all of a sudden, in his first ever ACC game against Virginia Tech, he scored 25 points. Uh, and he's, that's sort of how his career has gone. He'll go a week or two with really not making a peep and then explode for, you know, 18 points in a quarter and five threes. Um, then he'll go away for a half, and then he'll dunk over some poor, you know, seven-foot European on Clemson. Uh, he's if, if he does find his consistency and kind of turn into that um, John Roth being the, uh, you know, the, the noted – optimistic, comparison-making uh, Mar- um, national basketball writer for, uh, I think it's CBS Sports. I think it's C- John Ross and CBS Sports. Um, likes to compare him to Chandler Parsons. And there are times where you can definitely see the comparison. Um, kind of a tall, athletic, white wing uh, who can shoot from three and dunk. But they're really, I mean, they're, besides that, I mean, he, he hasn't found his consistency um, that said, Chandler Parsons really made a huge leap from his sophomore to junior year. So, 
maybe he really is like Chandler Parsons. Um, besides that, uh, Merrill is pretty thin at the wing, um, especially with Evans Montrose's injury. Uh, they they have Lehman, who will be their starting three, and perhaps their starting four now that Montrose is injured. Um, but behind them, you really only have Jake Lehman. I mean, you really only have uh, Jared Nickens, and uh, I guess Des Wells. If we're, if they really are going to play small ball, uh, they can they can move him from the two to the three. Uh, and then there's uh, Michael Sakowski, who's yet another freshman, incoming freshman, who is seven foot one, but his game is more of a three or fours, three or four man's game. Uh, he you know he can, he's a good spot up shooter. He can move well. He's very agile. He uh, uh, pretty athletic, not overly athletic, and he's not really known for his around the basket, you know, turn you know back to the basket game. So it's hard to place him as a post player. Um, but that's what he'll probably be asked to do at Maryland. So I wasn't going to include him, but there's not a lot of names to talk about on the wings if, if I don't include him. Yeah. Um, well, while you're talking about him, you might as well jump into the bigs. Um, yeah, sure, he's, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's an intriguing piece. I mean, do you think he – I mean, he's kind of an unknown. I, I think you'd agree with that. Um, but oh, yeah. Do you, do you think he's? Do you think he'll live up to the hype this year, or um, is it going to take um, a couple of years? Not to go too much, he's really, really intriguing. Uh, he looks, I mean, he reminds me a lot of Spencer Hawes, a little, um, as just someone, you know, an agile, versatile, big white guy um, that can shoot and that can play a little bit around the basket. Maybe not a great defender yet. Um, but, yeah, you know, in terms of living into the hype, I'll juxtapose Mark Turgeon and, some, you know, some of the players' comments. Sakowski as opposed to Mellow Tremble. Um, they are not, you know, they're they're not holding back on their praise for Mellow Tremble. They're talking about his, him as a leader, mm-hmm. him, you know, ready to step on the court. And they've been a little more tempered with Sakowski, which makes sense. You don't want to put any undue hype on the guy, but he's still learning the English language. He's from Slovakia. He's still learning the English language. He's still kind of learning the American game. Uh, and it might be a little bit of a of a transition for him. Um, everyone kind of assumed that he'd start right away, but I, I don't think that's, that's the case. Um, and as a transition into the bigs, the guy who I do think will be a, a you know a fairly big surprise for Maryland this year, and perhaps their starting center is, is a Demonte Dodd, who's from the Eastern Shore of Maryland, uh, in Maryland, uh, completely unknown in high school. He was one of those guys who go watch his high school tape. He's averaging like twenty and twenty against like six one centers. And he's six ten. Um, wow. <laughs> so was, yeah, he had and he had a really rough transition getting coming to college. He he barely played last year, and when he did, he was basically a foul machine. Very rarely scored. Kind of didn't couldn't really ever find his his place on the court. Had a, a, a few nice blocks, a few nice defensive plays, but besides that, was was mostly a space eater. Um, but he's really athletic and pretty, you know, kind of one of those. JaVale McGee, Gazelle in the open courts where he's just like, how is a guy that big moving like that? But then he <laughs> can't figure out his body when he gets into the paint. <clears throat> According to the coaches, he's vastly improved this offseason. Um, and the, and Mark Churchill went so far as to say that if they had a game today, and they don't have a game today, but they had, do have a game on Saturday, um, he'd be the starting center. 
I do think he'll, he will end up as a starting center. And uh, if he could just be a serviceable big man, it will be a huge boon for Maryland. And then the last post player is yet another transfer that, uh, or incoming transfer that Big Ten fans will remember is uh, Jonathan Graham, who started his career at Penn State and is a son of Maryland legend Ernie Graham, who still holds the Maryland record for most points in the game with 44. Uh, he, he's, you know, he's just uh, a bench big. That's basically all he is, and that's a pretty, you know, it's a fine place to be, but uh, he doesn't really score. He doesn't even rebound that well, but he kind of will foul you super hard and will get in your face and brings toughness to the bench, and uh, every team needs a, needs a guy like that. Yeah, um, random question. Uh, with this building uh, Maryland-Penn State rivalry, um, <laughs> is this going to be one of those things where you can't transfer between Michigan and Ohio State? Or <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. Like Personally, I think that the Maryland-Penn State rivalry, if Maryland can compete on the football field and if Penn State can compete on the basketball court, could be a real uh, building rivalry in, in the coming years. You know, a lot of Pennsylvania kids go to Maryland. A lot of Maryland kids go to Pennsylvania. Mm. Uh, they share a border. There's, you know, there's a built-in football history. I, I wouldn't go so far as to call it a rivalry because Maryland's won one of 40 <laughs> games that they've ever played. The last time they played was 1983, yeah. so it's it's largely yeah. ancient history. Um, but if, if if they can compete with each other, there's there's a lot of built-in hatred there. So uh, it can really become a thing. <laughs> Yeah, I figured I, I figured I'd throw that out there um, as we were talking about Graham, but uh, yeah, I mean, normally we ask about the recruiting class here, but um, we've kind of covered the whole thing already. Um, so why don't we jump into uh, who? What's your X factor for Maryland this season? Um, I that's a really good question. The obvious answer is Mellow Trimble, uh, mm-hmm. but I don't really want to go with a freshman because. Any freshman could be the X factor. You know, what if all of a sudden yeah. Jared Nickens turns into Carrisliver? Like that, it, it, it's impossible in a similar game. Uh, so it's it, it's hard. I don't want to give it to any freshman. Uh, so I'll go with Jake Lehman just because if he does find his consistency and find his correct role on the team, uh, he he can be one of the better players in the Big Ten. He's really talented, has a great skill set, and uh, just needs to be confident and uh, needs to know who he is as a basketball player. And if he hits that, and if he hits a stride, if he turns into the um, the player that you see every so often, the, those glimpses, uh, he'll be a really hard player to match up with. Yeah, I think um, I, I'm going to uh, ignore your comments about freshmen and pick a freshman for myself. But uh, <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, it's, I think... it's a healthy <laughs> mind. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm. I think I'm gonna pick a Chikowski up front. I think um, Maryland. They, you know, they have some guys up there, especially uh, you know once Smotrich comes back. But um, I just, he's one of those guys that strikes me. If he, he's either gonna be really awesome or he's gonna kind of just be another guy. Um, which the indications, I mean, that you hear is that he could, he could be that next, you know, a guy to blow up. Um, but yeah, he, he's the guy at least for me. Oh, go ahead. No, it's I see. I see. Yeah, I I completely agree with you on that one. Um, I could see him. I mean, truly, there there's there's a world where he's like a top ten pick after his freshman year. Like, mm-hmm. if, if he can show that he's can hit 
hit jumpers, you know, is a you know versatile player along the lines of like a Spencer Hawes. Uh, if he's agile and can really move in the paint and kind of is smooth with the basketball, uh, he's a very, very intriguing prospect. I mean, he, his other two offers uh, coming out of uh, high school, I guess, you know, came out of Canaris Basketball Academy, which I guess kind of a high school, were Arizona and Louisville. So that's two, two and yeah. Florida as well, <laughs> and there were three. So that's that's pretty good company to be named with. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. I think there's going to be a transition for him. But, yeah, he could turn into, you know, perhaps Maryland. I think he has the highest ceiling of any of the freshmen on Maryland, uh, and that's including Melo Tremble, just because Melo Tremble doesn't really have the athleticism to become, uh, you know, a top five NBA draft pick. Uh, I, just, just, I just don't see any way. Uh, I, would, I see him more as, like, Maryland's version of Aaron Kraft, perhaps. Uh, where he's just a rock of the team for four years, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, I, 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 there is a world where Michael Sakowski is <laughs> does completely blow up. I don't think it's going to happen. I think he's going to be around for a year or two and need to kind of get his footing. But that's, that's not a bad mm-hmm. name to pick. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's the one I would throw out there. But um, yeah, why don't we move into um, what do you think is going to be the biggest strength, uh, biggest weakness of this team? Oh man, this is like this is the question, right? This is the big one. Uh, I think uh, if you would ask me this two weeks ago, I was at the base week that sort of been rebounding because uh, they lost Shaquille Clear and Charles Mitchell, and uh, their best rebounder right now is, I mean, it might be Evan Smotrich, which isn't really where you want to be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but according to Mark Turgeon, and Mark Turgeon's been. Mark Turgeon is, has been in his time at Maryland a very, very honest uh, coach. Uh, in past years, that's been a negative. He's, you know, this time last year, he was saying things like, we're not practicing the way we should be practicing. We're, you know, we need to become focused. We're not doing what we need to do. He said that actually every year he's been in Maryland so far. Uh, wow. This year, he's been very weirdly positive. I, I, I'm very taken aback by how positive he's been. And he specifically talks about how they're going to be. He said, if he said in no uncertain terms that they're going to be a great rebounding team. So I don't, I don't see it personally. But uh, if if he says they're going to be a great, great rebounding team, I, I tend to believe it. Um, so I guess their biggest weakness will probably be. Uh, offense. I think offensively, since they're, they're with so many newcomers. Uh, with basketball being such a chemistry-driven team and with uh, they're, they're implementing this new up-tempo offense, I think they're going to struggle at first with offense, and it might be a struggle all year. And their biggest strength, I think, uh, I'm not going to go with the rebounding because I don't believe it yet. Um, I think they're going to be a really good, I think this completely contradicts what I, what I just said, but I think they're going to be a really good shooting team. I think they have enough really good shooters to make some teams pay from the outside. I, you know what? I take back what I said first. Rebounding is going to be their biggest weakness. <laughs> I, I don't believe – I'm, I'm completely changing course. I don't think they're going to be a good rebounding team. I just don't see who is going to pull down rebounds on the team. I think they're going to be a decent – their guards are decent rebounders, but that only accounts for so much. Uh, so, yeah, I'll go with there will be a really good shooting team and they will be a terrible rebounding team. 
<laughs> that's an interesting take because um, now tell me if I'm wrong on this, but uh, Allen Seth Allen was definitely one of the better shooters on the team, um, and losing him, it'd be interesting if they can you know become a better shooting team, um, even with his loss. Uh, well, do you think the, that's accurate or? Yeah, Seth Allen was the best shooter on the team last year, for sure. He was, he was inconsistent, just like everyone else on the team was inconsistent last mm-hmm. year. Um, and I really, but I think that one of the reasons that they were bad, they, that they were inconsistent shooting last year is because they didn't have a real point guard. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, you can have all the great shooters you want on a team, but if you don't have someone that can get them in the steps and get them the ball in open space, uh, or get them, you know, open corner threes or draw the defense in and get, you know, your shooters open, then it doesn't matter. You know, the best shooters in the world, unless you're Kobe Bryant or, you know, LeBron James or Kevin Grant, aren't shooting, you know, aren't going to be able to be consistently make shots over opponents' outstretched hands or or being, you know, double team or have the guy closing on on them on the arc. Um, I think the Melo Trimble, you know, from day one, was going to be a better point guard than Seth Allen ever was. And then you know probably the best mm-hmm. point guard Maryland's had on their on their team since Gravis Vasquez. Um, mm-hmm. So he, just him alone and kind of having a better identity as a as an offensive team will get them better shots and thus they'll they'll make the shots that that they get. Okay, yeah, that's an interesting uh, that's an interesting thought. But um, yeah, why don't we? Why don't we move into uh I, I would say the uh the stake of this. Um what's your prediction? Um where do you think they're gonna end up in the Big Ten? Are they gonna make the postseason? Which tournament? Um things like that. This is where I, I don't even know if I have a real answer. Um <laughs> they could and I've made this point throughout the off season, I think you made it too, I, I read it. Um I think you had a Q&A with the Michigan Espionation blog. Um, oh, okay. Maryland could yeah. finish 12th in the conference, and they could finish third in the conference. And even neither mm-hmm. one of those would surprise me. Um, the, you know, there's a world where everything clicks, and they score 78 points a game, and they have a 3-to-1 turnover to assist ratio, and Mel Trimble is the Big Ten Freshman of the Year, and Des Wells is on the uh, All-Big Ten team, and and Jake Lehman's also on the All Big Ten team, or the All Big Ten second team. And Michael Sikowski is all of a sudden, you know, the next Frank Kaminsky or the a young Frank Kaminsky. I mean, that world is just, that is a place that could actually, you know, that's a that is a realistic scenario. Is it also a realistic scenario that the freshmen are freshmen take a while to get to get um, situated? That Demonte Dodd is not a starting center on a major conference team. That Des Wells can't do it all by himself and that the five transfers, you know, would have been five, you know, the, the you know, five of the seven best players on the team. Um, I don't know which, and then there's obviously a middle ground where some of that's true and some of that's not true. Um, because it's the, it's the off season still technically and uh, the off season is time for hope. I'm going to go <laughs> with, uh, I think today will win, 24 regular season games uh, and finish fourth in the Big Ten. Oh, wow. Uh, I think that Wisconsin (laughs) will win the conference. I think that Michigan State will be top four. I think that 
Michigan will as well. And I think Maryland is better slightly than the Iowa's, Indiana's, and Illinois's of the world. And I think I think okay. it, 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 as just a as a as a Big Ten hot take, I think that uh, <laughs> I think Nebraska is in for uh, kind of a, a fall, is going to fall back to earth. Um, mm-hmm. I, they're very you know they're a trendy pick, and I just I need to see more than a year of Nebraska being mm-hmm. good to. Uh, I mean, and what what did they finish last year? Fourth in the conference, fifth in the conference. Uh, yeah, they were fourth. I mean, it's it's kind of one of those things. Um, we obviously we did their uh their podcast a couple weeks back but um they i mean totally out they were predicted to be dead last in the conference ended up yeah. finishing finishing fourth and um the thing was if you look back like parts of it are kind of you know you you think fluke and then other parts of it i mean they went on the road and beat michigan state granted they were injured but that's still a heck of a yeah, win that's, so that, i mean that's it's, what I'm saying, is that it's weird <laughs> I actually feel like they had a very similar season to Maryland last year. They started off the season mm. iffy. Didn't they, I think they went into conference play with like a barely 500 record. Um, the, and then yeah, yeah. The thing, the thing about them when they went into conference play is that like they didn't have they beat Miami at home. I mean, they didn't have really any huge wins, but they also you know they went on the road and worked lost a close game to Cincy. So, like, their whole season was weird. <laughs> yeah, they had a weird season. I, and I think that um, people remember, remember the end with that awesome Wisconsin game. But mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and that was, I feel like, a very similar game to what Maryland, well, Maryland beat Virginia. It was just a very emotional game um, in their new building. And it, everything kind of just went right for them. Uh, but overall, mm-hmm. I just I need, to see, I need to see more than a year. To really think that they're that they're going to be, you know, uh, finished in the top five of the conference two straight years. Like, is Nebraska really going to finish in the top five of the conference two straight years? They might. <laughs> they, I mean, a lot of people who are smarter than me think they will. But I, every year this happens where this, a team that was better than expected last year returns a lot of their guys, mm-hmm. and everyone expects them to be awesome, and they're just not because kind of things just went right. <laughs> Uh, the year before, uh, so I, I think Maryland yeah. maybe not fourth, maybe fifth. I think Maryland maybe finishes fourth or fifth in the conference, and I think that they make the NCAA tournament. And I think that mostly because they have to, because if they don't make the NCAA tournament this year, uh, they they the the seat the Mark Turgeon seat gets as hot as anyone in the conference as anyone in the country, and uh, no one wants that. Yeah, I think um, if they finish fifth, I definitely think they're making the NCAA tournament. Oh, yeah. But, um, there's no, there's no, but I, I, th- I thought they were going to make the NCAA tournament the last two years, so mm-hmm. what do I know? <laughs> yeah, I um, I have a bit of a, a more pessimistic take, I have to be honest. Um, in my prediction, I have them 10th. reason for it. <laughs> yeah, I have them 10th. I have them right behind Minnesota and head of uh, Northwestern. But I did um, – I have my my big Big Ten season previews coming Monday, so everybody can check it out then. But um, I've had it the conference kind of split into tiers, and I basically have tier one, tier two. I have them ab- above that bottom tier, um, so I definitely think they're going to be. To me, they're definitely making like the NIT. Um, I know that sounds disappointing, but um, I I think there are just there's a lot of transition um, as we've talked about, 
And, um, yeah, I, I, I think they're just going to struggle, especially um, I think one of the things is uh, I know this is kind of getting overblown, but uh, the Big Ten is just going to be a buzzsaw this year. I mean, it's going to be a buzzsaw for everyone, but, I mean, uh, traveling to some of those games is just going to be tough. But, um, yeah, that's where I have them. <laughs> I absolutely can see that as, as what happened. Um, I'm pro- mine's probably a little too optimistic. Uh, I don't know. I, I, the thing is, I, I, oh, I'm, a lot of this I'm basing off of, I, I buy into Melo Trimble. I buy into him as the point guard from day one and as, you know, a, a very, uh, as, as perhaps a, 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 not a, not like a program changing player in the way that like, um, you know, like a, 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 you know, a future number one pick, or like you know, a Derrick Rose or anything like that. Uh, but I see him as a as a stabilizing player, as a guy who the kind of player that Maryland's been looking for for a lot of years, and uh, a guy that gets what it means uh, to succeed at Maryland. You know, he's a Maryland kid. He grew up rooting for Maryland. He he remembers watching them win a national title uh, mm-hmm. when he was really young. Uh, I just think that that's that he's the kind of guy that kind of makes all the pieces fit, um, and and they have the pieces. I mean, I, I think they're one of the four most talented teams in in the conference. Um, they're most of their roster is, is top one hundred, former top one hundred rated recruits, um, and it's, I, I just think that this is the year that everything fits together. Uh, but you know, I'm probably wrong. <laughs> All right. Well, we thank you for calling in. Um, if you have any final thoughts, um, share them now or forever uh, hold your peace. <laughs> let's, let's beat Penn State on Saturday. And uh, Maryland's never beaten Penn State in State College. So, go Terps. Uh, I can't wait to see the start. My Knicks, my Knicks are up 6-2 to two on the Bulls. So, um, All right. everything's, everything's coming up, Andrew, right now. <laughs> All right. Wish Tim Hardaway Jr. the best. Um, <laughs> oh, I love him. He's my favorite. All right. Well, thanks for calling in, Andrew. And you can check him out on uh, Twitter and uh, Tocito Times, which is our uh, SB Nation Maryland site. Um, thanks again for calling in. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks. Bye. All right, guys. That was our uh, – Maryland preview here. Um, we'll be switching, moving over uh, to Purdue this time. Um, remember, as I as I said, we're moving conference records. Um, Purdue, I think, is a spot ahead of Maryland in conference record over the last five years. But uh, on here, we have our uh, fellow Big Ten manager, um, Brian uh, Sedman. Uh, Brian, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear. All right, cool. <laughs> Why don't you? Um, I guess introduce yourself a little bit, maybe uh, your background with uh, Purdue, maybe. <laughs> um, nothing too, too much uh, pertaining to Purdue, right about Purdue, Big Ten Powerhouse, and then last winner for uh, 24-7 Sports, which also ran about the football team, which has gone better than expected compared to the beginning of the year for them. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, that's good to hear. Um, we can jump right in. Um, well, why don't why don't before we jump in, um, any thoughts on Maryland? How they're going to perform this year? 
I mean, they're a team that can compete with anyone, and they'll beat someone good, and then you'll think that they're going to actually start playing at that level, and then they'll <laughs> lose to just some random ACC team that's at the bottom, and then they'll <laughs> drop a bunch of games, and you'll write them off, and then they'll go, and they'll beat Duke, and then they'll lose to, like, Clemson when Clemson was horrible, and just they're all <laughs> over the place. And, and I mean, it's, right. that's how the – that's how the Big Ten was last year too. So I mean, I could see them like mm-hmm. it's, they could go beat like an Iowa or Nebraska and then follow it up and lose the like Northwestern. It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Um, all right. Well. Uh, yeah. Let's let's jump right into Purdue here. Um, before we get going, any general thoughts on the season um, coming in, hopes, expectations, um, things of that nature? I mean. The last two years, I came in more optimistic because they have the players and talent to win games, and then they just find ways basically not to. So this year, it's like they have the roster. They can compete. They can win games. They could get back to the postseason, but until they actually start doing it and showing that they're going to consistently play well, I'm just kind of, we'll see how it goes this year, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I kind of um, – I have mixed things. I mean, I think at some positions, I mean, Purdue is just loaded. I mean, in the front court, they can hang with – I mean, I, I think they can hang with Wisconsin in terms of front their front court. I think it's massively underrated. But then they also – I mean, they play so inconsistent, and it, it almost seemed like it was a, a chemistry problem last year. Um, I don't know if you'd agree with that or not. What was the problem again? I heard the first part. Oh, oh sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, it It almost seemed like it was a chemistry problem last year. Kind of. I mean, it's just, I know they're different players, so you can't just say it's Purdue, but it just, they seems like every year it's, it should be able to do something and just for some reason they can't do it. And one thing I guess, I could say about their team last year and been like that for a while, probably since Hummel was gone, is they really don't have much in the form of leadership on the team at all. They just all kind of play for themselves, and then a lot of times when any adversity arises, they just cave in or buckle. There's just no – they don't rally around each other, and it was pretty bad. That was like two years with this. Yeah, I mean, there was – I remember at the beginning of the year they really they really were competing pretty well. I mean in non conference, if you had told me that they were gonna finish dead last in the conference, I would have been shocked. Um but hey, I mean it happens sometimes I guess. Um but yeah, why don't we why don't we jump in to Purdue here? Um jump right into the backcourt. Uh how do you think see things shaking out there? Um who do you see contributing? Um I mean, it'll be interesting to see how it pans out back there because Tyrone's gone and Ronnie's gone, and they basically were the entire guard system. Just pretty much on any given possession, they were probably going to shoot the ball, one of them. So, I mean, a lot of the production, a lot of the scoring, and a lot of the shots are going to have to go somewhere else. And Bryson was not good last year, but he didn't play good at the point, and he's Technically a combo guard, but put him at the two, he should play better. And the question is, uh, 
what's going to go on with the point guard position because of PJ, I mean, he wasn't offered until super late in the recruiting cycle, and it definitely came off like uh, Painter basically was like, oh, yeah, Ronnie's going to transfer, so I need a point guard. So he got him. So I'm not entirely sold on him. And even if he does come in and play well, he's still a true freshman, three-star recruit. So then they got uh, John Octius. I think that's how you say it, from uh, Colorado State. No, actually. I mean, if he comes in, because I remember reading that apparently uh, Steve Alford told him that if he came to UCLA, he was going to start, and then he got denied entry into the university. So, I mean, if he can come in and play at, like, a high level, then the guards should be a lot better this year because Tyrone could score, but with Ronnie it was – if Ronnie wasn't passing Tyrone, he was just going to shoot it. And you have a point guard that can't really pass the ball and then likes to shoot, but he can't shoot the ball well. And it's it kind of was detrimental to the entire team. So, I mean, if you can actually find someone to distribute the ball, even if they don't score as much as Ronnie did, I mean, the backcourt should see improvement with the guards. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. Um, I really like Octus out of uh, Colorado State. Um, hopefully we're pronouncing the name right here. Uh, late, late newcomer. But, um, yeah, well, I, I really I, I like him. I looked it up in, a, in, I think, one of the Colorado State uh, game notes, and it was like O-C-K-T-E-U-S for the pronunciation of it. So I think that's okay. how it goes. Well, hopefully we're not butchering it. Um, if we are, someone can complain to us on Twitter or something. But, um, yeah, I really like him. Um, apparently he had a really good scrimmage. Um, he's passing the ball well. He's not turning it over. Um, he He's rebounding. I mean, it's to me, he seems like he could really step in there. Um, yeah, Ronnie and Tyrone, I mean, they had their moments, but I just – I, I don't know. I th- I always viewed them as more volume players than I viewed them as, you know, really effective guards. But, um, but you know, like I said, they had their moments. And um, But I, I think Octus is definitely a step up here. Um, I think he's going to start from day one, and I think he's going to contribute. Um, I don't think he's going to be the team's best player or anything like that, you know, by any means. But I really do think he's going to contribute. Um, next to him, um, I got Scott. Uh, starting. I mean, um, people had mixed opinions on him last year, but I thought he was a decent passer. I thought he was all right when he came in. Um, you know, nothing to write home about, but he's also young. So I, I think there's potential there. Um, frankly, I, I feel like that a lot of, a lot of produced prospects. Um, I think there's potential. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like the pieces they have there. I, I don't think this is anywhere near, you know, the Michigans or the Indianas in terms of backcourt. But um, I think there are definitely some competent starters there. Um, uh, yeah, why don't we uh, move on to the, the wings then? Um, who do you see contributing there? I think the wing spot, there's probably going to be a lot of hope that some of the freshmen can come in and basically uh, come in and play well from the get-go, like, Vince Edwards and uh, Dakota Matthias, or whatever you said the last name. And then when it comes to guys who were already there, you got like Kendall Stevens, who, I mean, he showed last year he can shoot it from downtown, but at the same time, he showed last year that 
anytime you fast the ball to him behind the arc, he's probably going to throw it up. And I think that uh, he needs to get like a little improve his decision making because he shot a lot of bad threes, and that lets a lot of long rebounds, which lets a lot of easy points. But at the same time, he was hurt in his uh, senior year of high school, and then in the off season. So if he could actually improve, like increase some of his strengths, like it get inside and do a little more, you could probably round out his uh, uh, playing ability on the court quite a bit so he's not just chucking up three-pointers and nothing else. And I think he could probably see a considerable amount of playing time this year. And, I mean, Purdue needs shooters from the perimeter, and Stevens probably could be a key contributor to actually scoring from outside. And then there's still just Vince Edwards and Dakota, and you got to hope that uh, – they come in and can provide a spark, especially with both the Johnsons gone. You need someone outside of Hammonds who can actually score for the team. <laughs> yeah, I I think the the two uh, big guys here, which are the guys you mentioned, um, I think Stevens and I Edwards, I thought was one of the most overlooked recruits period um, in last year's recruiting class. Um, you know, not to claim he's the best recruit coming in or something, but. I'll tell you what, for his rankings, I think he's very good. Um, I think he's going to factor in, and honestly, I think he's going to start early, and I think he's going to just be a consistent player for this team. But, um, yeah, Stevens is an interesting one you mentioned, um, especially with the outside shooting. Um, he was he was decent there. Um, you, do you think he was the, the team's best outside shooter last year? Oh, yeah, by far, I mean. I got the stats up, and for people who actually shot more than, like, two or three or um, three-pointers, <laughs> he had the best percentage at 37. And, I mean, if he were to improve his shot selection, that percentage would probably go up because there's games where his three-pointer totals are double digits and just he just kept chucking it up. And it was basically a heat check even when he wasn't making them. So, I mean, <laughs> he can hit from outside. So, I mean... He was really the only one to consistently do it, and Tyrone got better last year compared to what he did, but outside of maybe Tyrone and Stevens, you really didn't have anyone who could actually hit from outside consistently besides uh, Sterling Carter, and he got hurt before the end of the year, so there were definitely winners yeah. there. Um, now, what's your opinion? I don't know if we've if we've talked about him yet, but uh, what do you think of uh, Davis coming into this year? I mean, he's kind of emerged as the leader, except the only problem with him is he just kind of disappears from the offense at times to the point where you just kind of forget he's on the court. I mean, his uh, freshman year, I think it was, when he blew up against Notre Dame that one day, I mean, he can score. It's just there's so many times offensively where he's just kind of, he's out there, but you just don't remember, like you don't see him, and He's not horrible, but he doesn't really go out of the way and do anything special at times. But at the same time, he's starting to take that leadership role. So I think at the same time, he's probably still going to see a decent amount of minutes on the court. Yeah, he seems to be uh, an interesting, almost the the elder statesman of the wing group, which is kind of odd to say. <laughs> but um, with Edwards and you know um, Stevens working in there, uh, it should be a pretty young unit, but a lot of talent. Um, moving moving down a little bit more towards the front court, um, 
Where do you, how do you see things uh, factoring out there? I mean, it should be good. You got you got Hammonds down low. It's besides Hammonds, it's not proven proven yet. Because I mean, last year they had some issues with death because uh, Simpson ended up having to retire, and Travis Carroll would play hard, but I mean, he couldn't really do too much. So now you have a uh, Isaac Haas, who's huge, and I mean. I mean, that literally. And he could develop as a pretty good center, but as a freshman, you don't know how long it's going to take for him to get the pieces together. And then they have uh, Taylor, who's another freshman, and he'll probably have to work just to get into the rotation because he's kind of uh, the odd man out. But everything I've read on him, he's kind of has that uh, skill set of kind of like a poor man's JJ, who can, he's a big at like 6'9. But at the same time, he can actually make plays from outside as well. But, I mean, down low, it's really going to come down to how Hammonds plays. And even if he doesn't make a huge improvement, I think if they can get a point guard who can actually get him the ball and if they can start scoring from outside, that would just open up so many things inside for him. And, I mean, defensively, I mean, as long as he can avoid just the little little cheap fouls he likes to pick up, I mean – (laughs) <laughs> He's one of the best centers defensively in the Big Ten easily. It's just the fouling gets a little bit uh, out of hand sometimes. Yeah, I I tend to agree. I think uh, the front court is definitely going to revolve around Hammonds. I mean, the only the only big man in the Big Ten I think you could say is better coming in is um, probably Kaminsky. I mean, I guess you can make a case for, like, Aaron White. Um I'm not forgetting anyone here, but I mean, Hammonds is when he plays his game and he's playing well, I mean, he can play with anybody. I mean, giant body, um, great in the low post, can push guys around, can bang. Um, that's what you like to see out of, you know, your, your five. But, um, yeah, I think outside of him, um, Haas, he, another guy who allegedly had a monster scrimmage. I mean, this guy, like, I've heard I've heard people talking about that he may be so good that um they may even have to consider playing two bigs. Um before I move on, do you do you think that first off would work and do you think um they'll even consider that at some point this season? I mean I could see it, but at the same time I think it's I in some of Hammond's conditioning issues, especially when he has like in the past, and he's had to play more minutes than he probably should. Or with the fouls, there's probably going to be minutes that, I mean, they probably won't need to send, or send both of them out on the same time because before he was out for the year, they still had Jay Simpson last year, and they had a chance to play big with uh, him and uh, Simpson. And they didn't really do it too much, and they have enough guys that I could probably see them more likely to play small because with all the guards and the wings, there's a pretty much a log jam of minutes there, so I think they would consider it, but at the same time, unless he comes out and plays really, really good, I think they're probably just using him as a backup for Hammonds for at least a good majority of the year. I don't see them running off two seven-plus players out there at the same time much <laughs> this year. Yeah, I especially when with I the, heard that... Oh, God. I mean, especially with the way the Big Ten is, you don't have too too many bigs, like true centers. 
Mm-hmm. So if you put out a seven foot center and then a seven foot two guy, you're gonna have a bunch of small guys who are probably gonna be just too quick outside. And because if you were facing a team that had a couple of uh, that had a bunch of bigs down low, I mean, you could probably do it. But I mean, a lot of teams in the Big Ten would just put on some a smaller lineup and just run around them and just hit it from outside and, and be problematic and on the defensive side of things. Yeah, I think um, I tend to agree. I think a lot of people like to, you know, propose all these, like, ideas because it sounds awesome in your head and awesome on paper, but I just think those two would not work well together unless one suddenly developed, like, a three-point shot or something, which um, I I don't see coming. But, um, yeah, I, I, mean, I Hammonds, like you. Like I've, oh, go ahead. Hammonds can, well, Hammonds can actually – Kind of, like, he hasn't been able to do it in a game. But, like, in non-game situations, he has enough range that he could probably shoot some three-pointers. But he's considerably better suited inside, so I don't think Tanner's going <laughs> to want him to post up on uh, the top of the key and shoot some threes. And yeah, I mean, um, JJ was. Yeah, I definitely... um. As a Michigan fan, we would experience that a lot where, you know, the big men, they'd be shooting around and... They uh, they'll hit every shot, but the minute they attempt one in the game, the coach would just beeline would just pull them out and yell at them. And I'd imagine the same thing would happen in the uh, if Hammond started doing that too. But um, yeah, I just I don't think that's a working lineup um, for any significant minutes against any significant team. I think um, their bet Haas is best suited off the bench to relieve uh, Hammond, especially because. Um, as you mentioned, he has had foul trouble in the past, um, especially because, like, he's the guy on this team, which I think we both said. Um, and the thing is, is, like, he's going to be getting the ball. He's going to be the featured guy. So, I mean, teams are going to be trying to expose him. They're going to try to get him to commit those ticky-tack fouls because if he's off the court, it's a lot easier for them. But, um, so, yeah, I think he's best suited off the bench. Um, moving down... I, I think Smotherman is going to start. Um, I, I like Basil to start at the four. Um, I think me and you have talked about this, and I think you disagree. Um, but uh, I like him there. I think he brings a rebounding edge. I think he brings athleticism for transition. Um, I think he's going to be able to defend. But, um, yeah, wh- well, why don't you express your uh, your thoughts on there? That you dis- I, know you, I know you disagree with that point. Hmm. I mean, if Slytherin makes a dumb from his freshman and sophomore year, I could possibly see it. But, I mean, I think we'll see uh, Octius and uh, Scott at the one and two for the guard. And then Edwards probably going to start. So that leaves who basically one spot, the not Hammond spot. And you're going to have, <laughs> I think, Rayfield Davis or Kendall Stevens team. Because if you look, I mean, Slytherin, he's great his uh, athleticism and you'll get usually a few uh, big baseline dunks every now and then from him. But I mean, mm-hmm. kind of like Davis, he just, he kind of disappears at times. Like I got the stats up and compared him to Davis and you would think Smotherman would get more rebounds, but he had two more rebounds than Davis and he only played, a, or he actually played 11 more minutes than him. I mean, he wasn't a huge rebounding machine for the most part last mm-hmm. year. I mean, I think the reason – you could develop, but 
I don't know if I've seen enough of him on offense to, for him to warrant starting at the four right now. But at the same time, even if he doesn't start, I think he'll be one of those guys in the rotation who sees a decent amount of minutes on most nights. Yeah, I definitely think that's true. I mean, um, I definitely think you'll see a lot of rotation on the wing just because it's pretty clearly a pretty deep spot um, along with the um, uh, the front court. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I like him to start there. We'll see. I'm kind of expecting uh, him to improve this year. Um, maybe I'm just going out on a limb and I'll be wrong, but, um, yeah, yeah, I, I like him to start there, but, um, why don't, why don't we jump into the, uh, we've talked about some of them already, but, uh, why don't we jump into the recruiting class? Um, who do you like? Who do you see contributing? Um, kind of what do you expect out of the, the newcomers? I think Edwards is probably going to be turning you quickly because, uh, with both the Johnsons gone, they need someone on the offensive side of things, and he was basically Painter's main target for this class for the longest time. So I think they're going to expect him to come in and compete and basically either start or get serious minutes from the get-go and work his way into the starting lineup. And I think he has the potential to be there, but the last couple of years we've seen freshmen come in for Purdue and it's like, yeah, they're going to be the guy, they're going to do this. Scott was supposed to set the world on fire, and it didn't pan out. So I'm going to wait to see and see if he can get it done. But I think he could probably be one of the better recruits the last few years for Purdue. And I think that mm-hmm. if Purdue wants to improve, it's going to be pretty heavy on him. And then, I mean, he's definitely the biggest guy, him and uh, Octius, who's uh, transferring in. And then uh, Haas is, a, I think, a big get just because if Hammonds can clean up his game on offense just a little bit, he's probably going to get up to a first-round level for a draft pick. I think if at the end of the year it's pretty much set that he's going to be a first-rounder, he's going to be gone. So Purdue definitely needed to land a center. So getting someone that uh, for next year with Hammonds probably going to be gone, that was a big get. And then uh, I think Taylor's probably going to be kind of raw, everything I've read kind of implied that, but uh, he has potential to see minutes, and especially if Hammonds is gone next year. And, I mean, he could develop. I mean, he, like I said, he had a similar skill set to an extent to, like, J.J. who's tall, big, kind of long, and more of an inside guy, but he can shoot it from outside and just kind of do a lot more than your standard big could do. And, I mean... We'll see how it goes with them. And then uh, Painter seems to like uh, Matthias a lot. It's just kind of a a smart guy who can shoot the ball and spread it around, and we'll see how that goes because Painter seemed to be a, the last two years just kind of getting sick and tired of watching his players make the same mistakes even though he keeps telling them, and they just keep doing the same exact thing over and over and over while he's just basically on the court looking sick to himself half the time. <laughs> yeah, I think um I think you definitely hit the nail on the head. I think the big three are uh, Edwards, Octus, and uh Haas. Um obviously Octus is kind of the odd the odd guy out cuz he's a transfer. Um but I I think he's going to start. I think Edwards is going to start and I think Haas is going to I'm not going to say big minutes because Hammonds is obviously going to get his, but um I do think you're going to see him a, a pretty good amount and 
obviously, anytime Hammonds is in foul, tr- uh, foul trouble, I think you're going to see Haas out there like almost immediately because I think he's going to be pretty solid. But um, yeah, I think the odd thing is, is uh, you know, with Mathis, um, he could be in the rotation. I think Purdue's wing. Um, now, let me know if you agree with this, but I think it, I think it's one of those things where it's deep, but it's pretty unproven, and um, there isn't a ton to say this guy is way better than this guy. Um, they're kind of all grouped together. Um, would you agree with that? Or Yeah, pretty much. I think uh, on the non-conference play heading into the Big Ten play, you're probably going to see a lot more, and the minutes will be a lot more balanced, and Painter's probably going to do a lot of experimenting with uh, rotations, and it'll probably start to clear up mm-hmm. as the season approaches, but right now a lot of it's just kind of, well, we'll see November and December how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, why don't why don't we move on to the um, uh, next question? Um, who do you see as the X factor for Purdue this season? Hmm. Probably it's probably gonna be Edwards because I mean they weren't exactly a great offense team last year. And they're losing their two leading, yeah, their two leading scorers from last year. So I mean, they need someone to score. And Edwards looks like he could be that guy to score. And at the same time, with him being a freshman, they've had a lot of roster turnover, and they've had a lot of guys come in, kind of like just want to do their thing and not buy into the system. And there's been a lot of talk about how basically, with everyone transferring and leaving, that they've essentially purged the roster of, like, all the bad seeds and kind of cleaned out the locker room. And that'd be irrelevant if the freshmen come in and just kind of do the same thing. So it'll be interesting to see if Painter basically start bringing in guys like he did in his first few years here that bought into the system. At the same time, they need someone who can emerge as a leader and become that offensive weapon and just, become a major threat on the offensive side of things. And, I mean, even if Stevens improves or Davis gets better or Smotherman, they all kind of have their limitations at times. So, I mean, Vince Edwards will definitely be called on early, and I think if he can come in and play to the level that they want him to, the offense could definitely be a lot better this year than what it was last year. And if they want to get to the tournament, Gonna be a huge improvement on offense this year. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, he's he's an interesting uh, guy. Um, he's he's not my pick. Um, I'm leaning toward the Octus here just because um, I think Purdue. You know, despite me, you know, uh, at least me, I'm I wasn't totally sold on uh, either Johnson, but um, still losing them is a big question, and you got to replace them. And I think. Um, He's he's the key guy I think back there to really step into that uh, point guard position. Um, you know they have other options, but I I think he's the guy if they're going to be good in the backcourt, he has to be good. And um, I definitely think the front court is good. <laughs> um, I I think there are options on the wing, even if you know necessarily guys aren't proven. I think there are enough guys there that someone will emerge um, and at least be a competent starter. But the backcourt, I think, is a big question, and I think he needs to be good. But, um, yeah, so I, I think he's the X factor this year. But, um, yeah, now what what do you see for uh, 
the biggest strength, biggest weakness of this team? Well, the biggest strength probably, I mean, it definitely has to be Hammonds because he's their best player on defense, their best weapon inside, and technically he's the leading returning uh, scorer. And, I mean, when he's on, he can dominate on both sides of the ball and just be a game changer. And with all the other questions and unproven players, I mean, he's a sure thing, basically. You know what you got with him. And basically, I mean, the hope is he'll only get better because he's got a few issues, like mentioned the fouls, and then uh, he does turn the ball over far too many times, and that's because he likes to put the ball down when he gets it uh, under the rim instead of going straight up. But, I mean, he's basically the key to the offense at times, and he can take over games. So he's definitely the biggest strength right now. And I think the biggest weakness just is, once again, the team's young. There's not that much depth there, and you don't know exactly what you got. And at the same time, with so many young guys and freshmen that are going to probably be playing a lot straight from coming in, there could be chemistry issues, or at the very least, they need to figure out basically their rotations pretty quickly because, uh, like, decent amount of guys who are going to see serious time have never played together. So that could definitely be another issue as well. Yeah, I think um, for me, I kind of agree. I think the front court is the strength. Um, particularly, I think the defensive front court is the strength. And, um, I mean, Hammonds is just a bear to score on down there. And um, if you're adding uh, Haas, who, I mean, granted, is considered a little undersized right now, you know, physically, strength-wise. But um, I think it's still, it's gonna. there's just going to be a lot of length down there, especially if some other men's out there. Um, I, think, I think you're going to have a lot of, uh, it's just going to be tough to score down there, especially in the low post. But um, weakness, um, I think a couple red flags shoot out. Um, I've talked about this already, but I think the, um, the backcourt, is a I would say more of a concern in the fact that you don't know if Octus is going to perform right away. I mean, indications are that he's going to, and he'll be one of the better players on the team, um, at least from what we've seen so far. But um, obviously he's a concern. Um, you don't know what you got there. Um, Scott's kind of a question mark as well. Um, the other thing is, is uh, as you mentioned, I think shooting just in general – um, is a concern. You know, Edwards is a nice shooter. I think he's going to do well. But um, you need the shooters to really take the pressure off Hammonds. And I think, um, especially, you know, we've talked about that Smotherman isn't necessarily the greatest shooter. Um, we talked about some of the other guys. Uh, even, you know, Stevens kind of inconsistent sometimes. Scott wasn't necessarily the best shooter. Um, so the thing is, is this, even if Edwards is good, if if they're rotating, as we've kind of talked about, um, I don't know where the shooting is necessarily going to come from. Um, I think it's got to be the freshmen, and maybe that's why uh, Edwards and Mathis are going to get time. But um, those are those are the red flags that pop out to me um, as of now. But, uh, yeah, why don't we move into our uh, – I mentioned this uh, during the Maryland one, but the, uh, the stake of our preview here um, – Give me give me a bold prediction for this season, and then give me kind of uh, where you see them in the Big Ten. Are they going to make a post? Are they going to make the postseason? Which 
um, postseason, what they make, um, kind of where you expect things to go this year. Well, I mean, the team has the talent and the potential to get back to the NCAA tournament, but at the same time, just the last couple of years, it just kind of made me uh, pessimistic over it. So I think that I've seen a lot of like publications, 13th and 12th. I think that they'll be better than the bottom like tier of the Big Ten. I think they could edge their way up towards the back end of the the middle of the pack. But I think they're gonna just they're gonna be there some nights, and then some nights they're just gonna just play horribly. And I think that they could definitely trend up to maybe eighth or ninth. I think probably like a ten spot in the Big Ten seems to be a little safer for a bet. And I think that the NIT is within reach. I don't know if they'll get there, and if they don't, I don't know if they're gonna take a CBI bid this year if it offers because a. Uh, they did two years ago, but then last year with Ronnie transferring, they didn't. So, I mean, I think it's a toss-up for the NIT, and I think they'll have to probably overachieve or come together quickly as a freshman are going to have to hit the ground running if they want to get back to the NCAA tournament. But, I mean, I think they're going to play better overall than what they did last year. Yeah, I think um... – I think it's going to be an interesting thing. Um, unfortunately, I feel bad because both teams this week, I'm, uh, or this time, I should say, um, I'm a little pessimistic on. Um, I actually have Purdue finishing um, 12th again. Um, granted, there are two more teams, so maybe that uh, makes it a little better. But um, I have them finishing 12th again. Um, again, <laughs> maybe this uh, takes away some of my optimism about guys like Edwards. But I, I think you're just going to see a lot of inconsistency, um, especially, you know, in scoring. Um, but, yeah, I, I have them above Penn State, behind Northwestern. I actually was, within the last week, considering bumping them up to 11th over Northwestern. But I have them 12th right now. Um, I honestly, I think 12th, I, I don't even know if you're, you would still be in range for NIT. I know the Big Ten's good this year, but you'd have to have one heck of a non-conference uh, performance, I think, to make it out of there. But um, so I guess I'm predicting no postseason um, for the Boilermakers, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> but um, I, I, I think you're just going to see, especially in a conference that's so deep um, and so talented. I think there's going to be defensive um, as much as he's going to be gained on offense um, potentially with these new guys. I think you're going to lose some of it on defense um, with a younger lineup. Um, some inconsistencies, but uh, yeah, that's that's kind of how I see it going down. We'll see, but um, yeah, before we before we wrap this up, uh, any final thoughts on Purdue? Well, um, just one more thing with what you said. I think at the same time, you could probably slide Purdue above Northwestern just because I don't have it right up in front of me, but I remember looking over it, and the way the schedule is with the double plays, and the fact that it's so different now just because so many teams have a uh, there's so many single plays. Purdue's mm-hmm. uh conference schedule is actually a decent amount easier than Northwestern. So I think if they're within a game or two apart, that could be a key difference because Northwestern doesn't really have that uh from what I remember, they don't have that favorable of a, a conference schedule for them trying to improve and then Purdue has like four or five single plays versus teams that are pretty much uh, 
locked for NCAA tournament this year. So it's actually not a horrible conference schedule this year for Purdue. So I think that could actually uh, help them edge up a spot, even if it doesn't necessarily make them the better team. That's uh, that's an interesting thought, and you may have just talked me into you know giving them the actual bump up um, in my all-knowing power rankings. <laughs> just kidding, but uh, yeah, that's an interesting thought there, um, it, and it's something we talked we talked about in the past um, on our site. But um, yeah, adding two more teams, it's going to bring down the one plays even more. Um, I have my own thoughts. Do you, do you have any thoughts about that? I mean, should the Big Ten try to address that in some way? I'm a big proponent of guaranteed rivalry games uh, getting to a year. But uh, do you have any stance on that? Do you think they should change anything? Um, maybe split into divisions? Some people have talked about that. Um, I agree with the guaranteed the whole rivalry thing, so you don't have, like, a Michigan-Ohio State only play once or something like that. But, uh, I mean, I think it was, it, it was uh, Will Ryan talking about maybe 20 games, and the problem with that is the season as is starts mm-hmm. on New Year's or New Year's Eve for conference play. And usually around then there might be a game before, but usually there's about a, a week break because of winter break. So if you want to increase the games for the conference length about 20, then you would probably have to start ducking into December, and it doesn't really fit at all. So I think they're pretty much stuck with 18, and I'm not sure that they would do divisions. So, I mean, I would say just it'd be nice to have it more balanced, but you never know who's going to be, like, how the teams are going to play throughout the year. So just having 14 teams and 18 conference teams is going to create problems. But, I mean, they should protect rivalries. And other than that, there's not too, too much they can do about it right now. It's just kind of stuck with it. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I Like I said, I'm a huge proponent. I think any of the rivalries that are actually, you know, characterized as rivalry. Um, I joked in the first half that Maryland and Penn State were becoming rivalries. They don't need guaranteed rivalry games in basketball, at least not yet. But um, I think I think you should have two guaranteed rivalry games. I don't... I don't think it's big enough for divisions. I really don't, um, especially because if you did East and West, especially now, I mean, I, the East would be stacked. <laughs> um, I, I guess that's kind of how it is in football, too. But, um, I mean, Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State on one side, that would be a very tough draw. Um, but, but yeah, I... I don't agree. I don't, I also don't agree <laughs> um, with the 20, um, like you were saying. I just, I think the thing is, is you know, people would love to see it now because the Big Ten is absolutely stacked. But ultimately, you hurt your um, conference because teams are going to have losses because somebody has to lose if you play yourself. But um, yeah, I, mean, I don't know. At, I the figured, same, oh, well, at, at the same time, it it kind of depends because there's a. It was a few years back, I think, and the Mountain West Conference had a bunch of teams get in, and there was losses there, but, I mean, they all kind of boosted their RPI up. So if you're playing a bunch of top 100, top 50 teams instead of some team that's like 250th in the RPI rankings, then even if you lose, it's not necessarily going to hurt your uh, resume on paper, but at the same time, it probably would definitely hurt the eye test. Yeah, I, I... 
I, I think that that may be true. I think it depends on you know the comparison, but um, I just I don't know. I, I I think the thing is is like especially with RPI not taking like margin of victory into account, which as a side note is just stupid. They need to develop something new. But um, but I I think it's just like you have to um. I think that's going to hurt. It's going to hurt the win totals if you do that. And I know it's just two games, but I I really think that does add in, at least to an extent. But, um, yeah, yeah, all right. All right. A little side note to our uh, Purdue talk here. Um, yeah, I, I asked uh, – before we go, I asked um, Andrew this. Um, but, first, I, obviously, um, the NBA is it's going right now, actually, as we record this. But um, – just started. Uh, first thought: You follow an NBA team? Um, are you excited for the season to start? Any thoughts on that? Every year, I'm with the NBA because I used to be pretty big in the NBA, and then just kind of went to the wayside. And then my interest level raised about a few years back. But every year, I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna get super into it. And then it comes and goes, and until towards the end of the year. But uh, I grew up technically as an Atlanta fan. I actually had a Matumbo jersey growing up. But then I stopped watching the mm. NBA for a few years. And then I think I got back into it just mainly because I was playing NBA 2K. And <laughs> I actually became a, a Golden State fan a few years before they uh, actually became good again. I actually sat through and watched them the year they tanked and used that to uh, just barely keep their lottery pick and get Harrison Barnes. But, yeah, for uh, NBA, Golden State fan, so, I mean... They actually can score. It's kind of weird because I yeah. watch Purdue on basketball and they can't shoot. And then I watch Golden State and they just can shoot it from everywhere and just score nonstop with a uh, Curry and Thompson and and everyone else. <laughs> yeah, that's that's funny. Yeah, as I mentioned before, I'll, I'll mention again. Uh, I'm a Pistons fan. Um, we'll kind of see. We're one of those teams that are teetering on uh, the eight seed, you know, projection wise, which. I don't know how much those are worth, but whatever. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see if we if we do anything this year. <laughs> but uh, all I mean, right, well, does, Brian, uh, think. Oh, it, go ahead, go ahead. It does it does help playing in the in the East because in the West you could probably win almost fifty games and miss the playoffs, and in the East you could finish around five hundred or even under five hundred and still sneak into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the East, Even though, uh, the East is helpful. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, it'll be an interesting thing to watch. And obviously, uh, a lot of Big Ten players now with the, uh, the conference has been killing in the draft the last few years. But, um, yeah, uh, again, thanks for calling it. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> According to Real GM or whatever, there was uh, for the opening day rosters. I mean, some of them were technically non active like uh, Von Lee, but there's uh, 32 Big Ten players currently on NBA rosters, and that's 35 if you count the three guys from uh, Maryland, even though they were playing there during Maryland's ACC tenure, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Well, that's pretty cool. That's an interesting side note, but uh, yeah, all right. Well, um, thanks for calling in. Um, as a reminder, guys, this is uh, Brian Stedman. He's our other manager at uh, BT Powerhouse. Um, he also contributes to uh, 247's Purdue site, um, primarily on the football end of things. But, um, yeah, Brian, thanks for calling in. No problem. All right. Well, um, 
yeah, that wraps up our show for this week. Um, as as obviously you've listened through, um, went through Maryland and Purdue. But, um, yeah, we'll continue on next time. We'll be podcast 12, and we're finally on to Michigan and Michigan State, and I am extremely excited to talk Michigan. I've been waiting for this podcast the whole time. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, well, all right, well, that brings us to a wrap. I am uh, Thomas Bendit. Um, I'm the manager over at BT Powerhouse, editor-in-chief, and I also contribute to Wolverine 247, which – I'm sure you can recognize is why I'm so excited to talk Michigan next time. But all right, everyone, enjoy your kickoff to the well, tip-off, I should say, to the NBA season, and we will see you next time. Bye.